0: This episode of the Ortho Bullets podcast will go over the topic of Taylor Neck Fractures from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Taylor Neck Fractures are the most common fractures of the talus, making up 50% of all talus fractures. The mechanism of injury for Taylor Neck Fractures is a high-energy injury from a forced dorsiflexion with axial load. Again, the mechanism is a forced dorsiflexion with axial load. As far as associated conditions with tailor neck fractures, ipsilateral lower extremity fractures are common. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy, specifically articulation and blood supply. With respect to articulation of the talus, the inferior surface articulates with the posterior facet of the calcaneus. The tailor head articulates with the navicular bone and the sustentaculum tali. The lateral process articulates with the posterior facet of the calcaneus and the lateral malleolus of the fibula. The posterior process consists of the medial and lateral tubercles separated by a groove for the FHL. With respect to blood supply, the tailor neck is supplied by three sources, the posterior tibial artery, the anterior tibial artery, and the perforating perineal artery via the artery of the tarsal sinus. With respect to the posterior tibial artery via the artery of the tarsal canal, which is the dominant supply, this supplies the majority of the tailor body. The deltoid branch of the posterior tibial artery supplies the medial portion of the talar body and may be the only remaining blood supply with a displaced fracture. The anterior tibial artery supplies the head and neck of the talus. The perforating perineal artery via the artery of the tarsal sinus also supplies the head and neck of the talus. With respect to the classification of talar neck fractures, the one to know is the Hawkins classification, which is divided into four types. Hawkins 1 is non-displaced and has a risk of avascular necrosis of between 0 to 13%. A Hawkins type 2 is described as a subtalar dislocation and has an avascular necrosis rate of between 20 to 50%. A Hawkins type 3 has a subtalar and tibiotalar dislocation and has an avascular necrosis rate of 20 to 100%. And finally, Hawkins IV injuries are subtalar, tibiotalar, and talar-navicular dislocations that have an avascular necrosis rate of between 70 to 100%. With respect to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP, a lateral, and a canale view, which is the best view to demonstrate talar neck fractures. The technique is maximum equinus, 15 degrees pronated, and the x-ray being 75 degrees cephalad from horizontal. A CT scan is the best study to determine the degree of displacement, comminution, and articular congruity. CT scans will also assess for ipsilateral foot injuries, which have up to an 89% incidence. Treatment of Taylor neck fractures can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management involves emergent reduction in the emergency room and a short leg cast for eight to 12 weeks, where the patient will be non-weight-bearing for the first six weeks. With respect to emergent reduction in the emergency room, Remember the indications are for all cases as they all require emergent close reduction in the emergency room. With respect to a short leg cast for 8-12 to weeks where the patient will be non-weight bearing for the first 6 weeks, this is indicated for non-displaced fractures or Hawkins type 1 injuries. Make sure to get a CT scan in these patients to confirm non-displaced fractures without articular step-off. Operative options include open reduction and internal fixation. This is indicated for all displaced fractures, that is, Hawkins type two to type four. With respect to techniques, remember that an extruded talus should be replaced and treated with open reduction internal fixation. Complications include post-traumatic arthritis, malunion, non-union, infection, and wound dehiscence. Now, let's go over the surgical technique for an open reduction and internal fixation in more detail. With respect to the approach, two approaches are recommended the anteromedial approach, and the anterolateral approach, but in general, visualize the medial and lateral neck to assess reduction. Remember that typical areas of comminution are dorsal and medial. With respect to the anteromedial approach, this approach is between the tibialis anterior and the posterior tibialis. Make sure to preserve soft tissue attachments, especially the deep deltoid ligament, which contains the blood supply. A medial malleolar osteotomy can be done to preserve the deltoid ligament. Again, a medial malleolar osteotomy can be done to preserve the deltoid ligament. An anterolateral approach is between the tibia and fibula proximally. This is in line with the fourth ray. Make sure to elevate the extensor digitorum brevis and remove debris from the subtalar joint. With respect to the technique for an open reduction internal fixation, remember that anatomic reduction is essential. A variety of implants can be used including mini and small fragment screws, cannulated screws, and mini fragment plates. Medial and lateral lag screws may be used in simple fracture patterns. Consider mini-fragment plates and combinated fractures to buttress against virus collapse. Postoperatively, the patient should be non-weight-bearing for 10-12 to 12 weeks. Now let's go over some complications, specifically osteonecrosis, post-traumatic arthritis, and virus malunion. With respect to osteonecrosis, there is a 31% risk overall, including all subtypes osteonecrosis can be noted on radiographs, specifically with the Hawkins sign, which is a subchondral lucency that is best seen on the mortise x-ray at 6-8 weeks. This indicates intact vascularity with resorption of subchondral bone. Remember that osteonecrosis is associated with tailor neck comminution and open fractures. Moving on to post-traumatic arthritis, subtalar arthritis is the most common complication, which is seen in 50% of patients. Tibio-taylor arthritis is seen in 33% of patients. Varus malunion can be seen in 25-30% to 30% of cases, but remember this can be prevented by anatomic reduction. Treatment of varus malunion includes medial opening wedge osteotomy of the tailor neck. Keep in mind that varus malunion can lead to decreased subtalar eversion as well as weight bearing on the lateral border of the foot. Again, varus malunion can lead to decreased subtalar eversion and weight-bearing on the lateral border of the foot. With respect to decreased subtalar eversion, this manifests as decreased motion with a locked midfoot and hindfoot. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads... What is the most common complication following surgical treatment of a displaced tailor neck fracture? And the choices are 1. Osteonecrosis, 2. Varus malunion, 3. Post-traumatic arthritis, 4. Fracture delayed union-slash-nonunion, and 5. Wound dehiscence-slash-delayed wound healing. The correct answer to this question is 3. Post-traumatic arthritis. So the most frequent complication is post-traumatic arthritis after a tailor neck fracture. With tailor neck fractures, osteonecrosis is relatively common, occurring in up to 50% of patients. Fracture nonunion occurs in 10% to 12% of patients. Varus malunion can occur with medial comminution. Wound dehiscence and deep infections are much less frequently encountered. Moving on to the next question: Varus malalignment after a Taylor neck fracture with medial comminution causes a decrease in what motion? And the choices are one, tibio Taylor dorsiflexion. 2 tibio-talar plantar flexion, 3 subtalar eversion, 4 subtalar inversion, and 5 internal rotation. The correct answer to this question is 3, subtalar eversion. So, varus malalignment at the tailor neck results in a decrease in subtalar eversion before impingement occurs. Varus talar neck alignment can be a fixed internal rotation position of the midfoot as the navicular follows the tailor head. This can lead to a more rigid hind foot which is specifically manifested as a decreased eversion range of motion. Daniels et al. performed a cadaveric study where they osteotomized the tailor neck and then studied ankle motion with and without removal of a medially based wedge of bone. They found that subtalar eversion was specifically decreased. Sanders et al. found that secondary reconstructive procedures following tailor neck fractures were most commonly performed to treat subtalar arthritis or misalignment. Moving on to the next question, when using a two-incision approach for open reduction and internal fixation of a Hawkins III Taylor fracture dislocation involving the Taylor neck and body, what anatomic structure must be preserved to optimize outcome? And the choices are 1, deltoid branch of the artery of the tarsal canal, 2, dorsalis pedis artery, 3, tarsal sinus artery, 4, perforating perineal artery, and 5, navicular artery. The correct answer to this question is 1 deltoid branch of the artery of the tarsal canal. So a Hawkins III fracture dislocation generally presents with posterior medial displacement with the deltoid ligament intact. Therefore, the only remaining blood supply is the deltoid branch of the artery of the tarsal canal originating from the posterior tibial artery. Often the medial malleolus is fractured, assisting in reduction and visualization of fracture reduction. If the medial malleolus is intact, a medial malleolus osteotomy allows visualization of the reduction without compromising the last remaining blood supply to the talus. Moving on to the next question. A 30-year-old patient underwent open reduction internal fixation of a tailor neck fracture eight weeks ago. His current radiographs demonstrate a subcontral radiolucency of the dome of the talus. What is the next most appropriate course of action? And the choices are one injection of bone cement into the talus to prevent further avascular necrosis, 2. Ankle fusion, 3. Subtalar fusion, 4. Ankle arthroscopy to address the osteochondral lesion, and 5. Continued observation as the vascularity to the talus is intact. The correct answer to this question is 5. Continued observation as the vascularity to the talus is intact. So a subchondral radiolucency of the taylor dome after a taylor neck fracture is known as the Hawkins sign and is a well-described radiographic indication of viability of the taylor body. Rockwood and Green state by the 6th to 8th week, if the patient has been non-weight-bearing, diffuse atrophy is evident by radiographs. An AP radiograph of the ankle reveals the presence or absence of subchondral atrophy in the dome of the talus. Subchondral atrophy excludes the diagnosis of avascular necrosis. Tezval et al. in a retrospective review showed that a subchondral lucency seen on the AP radiograph was a good indicator of talus vascularity following fracture. They state that it is unlikely that avascular necrosis will develop at a later stage after injury if a Hawkins sign was present. And moving on to the final question, a 30-year-old male undergoes successful surgical fixation of a displaced tailor neck fracture. Which of the following is the most likely long-term complication even after anatomic reduction and stable fixation is achieved? And the choices are 1, tibio-talar and or subtalar arthritis, 2, loss of forefoot supination, 3, osteonecrosis, 4, non non-union; and 5, infection. The correct answer to this question is 1, tibio-talar and or subtalar arthritis so it's important to counsel patients regarding these devastating injuries and their poor prognosis as osteonecrosis, subtalar, and tibiotalar joint degeneration and tailor collapse are not infrequent. In a series by Lindvall et al., subtalar joint arthritis was reported as more common than osteonecrosis of the talus at four-year follow-up after fixation. Osteonecrosis of the talus was the next most common complication following surgery. The article by Vallier et al. reported on mid- to long-term follow-up of this patient population. 10 of the 26 patients had development of osteonecrosis of the Taylor body, but only half experienced collapse of the Taylor dome. All patients with a history of both an open fracture and osteonecrosis experienced collapse. 17 of 26 patients had post-traumatic arthritis of the tibia Taylor joint, and 9 of 26 had post-traumatic arthritis of the subtalar joint. That's all for this review about Taylor Neck Fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.